this podcast with Jim Mooney, 247 Fighting Championships, head matchmaker. This guy right here is the reason that we have awesome fights. That's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> and it's your first podcast. Is this your first podcast appearance? On here, like, I don't know. Like on I, this podcast? Maybe. I think it is. How? I, I think it, yeah. I think I was um, going to be on one of the first ones and I had some um, technical issues. I don't recall what it was, but I just remember something about the restream and it wasn't working out. Yeah. Let me also say that I'm very jealous of you being in Austin, Texas, or wherever you are <laughs> in your very modern outdoor. It looks like you you like founded a tech startup or something. Yeah, it's my home away from home. <laughs> it's Down definitely on the beach in Corpus Christi. Yeah, that is definitely not a fake background, ladies and gentlemen. It is no, not. No virtual backgrounds here. Jim Mooney is all real all the time. Yeah, don't even think it. <laughs> so what's up, man? It's cool that you're finally on the podcast. Obviously, we've been working together for a while now i've learned a ton from you i will say the reason i wanted you on this episode besides the fact that you were overdue to join the podcast in general but i think matchmaking in terms of things that i didn't know before i got into the general manager position about mma you know i covered mma for so long with bleach report mma fighting flow combat i was at a ton of events talked to a ton of fighters i felt like i knew the game somewhat I didn't at all. <laughs> like once I got yeah. into this position, you quickly find out that you really don't know anything about how this works. So I've learned a ton, but near or at the top of the list is definitely matchmaking and everything that goes into matchmaking. So I just wanted to get you on the show because I think a lot of people would be interested in the behind the scenes, like the secrets of matchmaking, kind of how matches come together, how matches fall apart. So I'll just start it there. Like for you, what was the learning process like get coming from? Because it's not like you go to college to be an MMA matchmaker. Like you kind of learn it on the fly. So what was the learning curve like for you when you first started getting into it? Well, I mean, I expected crazy hours, you know, with um, with us being a new promotion when we first started. Um, Ryan had somebody else that, uh, that had started out doing the matchmaking and um, then I took over right after our uh, second card, um, July 19th, I was doing the, uh, like the um, fight day setup. And um, so I, I expected it to be crazy busy. The one thing that has really stood out to me, and this is going away from your question a little bit, but I wanted to make sure that, um, cause I had actually a customer in my day job, um, I, I got to talking to him. He overheard a conversation that I had, told him I had to step away, and you know it was for one of the fights coming up. So he asked me about it, and um, I told him, I, as the conversation went along, he asked, like, what's the thing that really stands out for you and um, that you never expected? And I told him that I, there are – it's not just levels to the fighters – but to with the coaches and the coaching and the gyms and the dedication that um, that these coaches and gym owners have to their team and to their fighters, it, it is nonstop. You know, we have um, we got the local coaches. I've I've talked to to them and have said like you guys are crazy because you got 
most of you guys have day jobs and you're coaching in the evenings. Then you're traveling with your team on weekends. So you got weigh-ins on Fridays. You got fights on Saturdays. You might be prepping them for a grappling tournament. It's just like it's, it's crazy, crazy nonstop. And it opened my eyes that, you know, for me to think that like as busy as I was when I first took over, that there, there are people um, that are like, you know, I wouldn't say in over their head, but they are in it to a level where it's their lifestyle. That's just their life. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I think every time we talk about, you know, just a single one guy out, but it applies to almost all of them. Like you said, a lot of the coaches, a lot of the trainers, things like that. Isaac Greeley, like every time I think about that dude's schedule and everything he's doing, I think I said it on his podcast, like he does more than 24 hours in a day, it feels like. Like his days have to be longer to do what he does. That's just what it seems like when you think about what he's doing. And then, like you said, to get into this, to – dedicate your entire weekend because that's like the other element of it is normally you think these people who work extremely hard you know you work hard monday through friday at least you have the weekends to recover but in fighting the weekends are when the bouts happen and then sunday is obviously a recovery day or a regrouping day and sometimes there's competitions on sundays as well so the weekends aren't even a time to relax for these guys so it's just it's a wild grind all the way around so i've definitely gained a lot of respect for these guys Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isaac is. Um, so, I so after that, ironically, after that uh, that service call, I had to go and get tires on my wife's vehicle. Went to a um, a local uh, tire shop in where was it? Torrenum, just you know, down the road um, and across the, the river from uh, from where the Matt Factory is. It was the same situation. I'm sitting in the waiting area, and I I uh, got a phone call. I was talking with. Um, with Ray, Ray Ross, Gorilla House. And it, like, it, you know, didn't think I, you know, I didn't think I was talking too loud. I was trying to talk softly, but there was a customer there, you know, for the tire shop getting tires on his vehicle. And after I was done, I sat down. It was just at this point, once I sat down, it was just him and I in the, uh, in the waiting room. And he said, are you involved with MMA? Uh-huh. I said, yeah. So the conversation, you know, picked up a little bit from there. And so he was actually coached by um, by Isaac. Um, I think he still trains at the math factory. And he said, you know, uh, by the way, Gino, if, you, if you're watching this, what's up, Gino? Appreciate the conversation, getting to know you. Um, <laughs> but he said that he he was with Isaac for like 17 years. Um, wow. Coaching. And um, yeah, he said he he got to learn a lot about wrestling just by watching him and Isaac's yeah. the type of guy that he said, if um, like, if you weren't doing something right, he was going to hurt you. Not in a bad mm-hmm. way, but it was going to get your attention and you knew don't make that mistake again. Nice. And, um, yeah. He's Isaac's a young OG. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, the comments that, that, that Gino made is like, he is the youngest what he's in his mid forties, forty five, something like that. Gotta be, yeah. It looks like he could, you know, step in the cage now. Yep. Well, he works nonstop, not just career wise, but literally working out wise, training wise. You know, he's just a machine. So, no secret. It's kind of funny. Like every time people talk about they they need 
tips for losing weight or tips for getting in shape like exercise is pretty much always the answer <laughs> like for everything yeah. like it's really not a secret if you train if if anybody went out and trained as much as isaac like they would probably look younger and healthier as well like yeah. that's kind of not a secret and he's been doing it his entire life obviously you know a standout collegiate wrestler at upj and everything he's done still competing at a very high level in grappling tournaments so yeah he's he's a machine man yeah and, and you know that's so that's one of the things that really stands out to me about the Pittsburgh area coaches is, you know, their, their fighters are, are going to come in and they're not going to gas. I, I understand that, you know, somebody might have an adrenaline dump for different reasons, but that's different. That's, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why that could happen. But in general, when it comes to the physical readiness um, and the motor to keep going, you know, for the full, you know, three minutes, if it's advanced amateurs, three rounds, five minutes, you know, three rounds for the pros, their, mm -hmm. their tank is going to be pretty close to empty, you know, at the end of the fight, because they're, they're not going to leave anything um, left, you know, to the imagination. And it's, it's just nonstop motorboat with, uh, with the Pittsburgh fighters. Yeah, it's super true. And just to, uh, for people listening who maybe aren't familiar with the matching process at all, like the reason we're talking about coaches at all is because all matching goes through the coaches like you or managers. If a lot of pros will have you go through the manager instead of their coach, but even some amateurs nowadays have managers as well, but it's either a coach or a manager who actually confirms the matchup and gets things rolling. So we work more with coaches than fighters themselves for matching purposes. Um, it's just, it's a really interesting process. I'll say like learning the ins and outs of things. I'll give you an example here to kind of speak on. Like we're trying to match a fighter right now who is one and O, but has a very distinguished background in collegiate boxing. He's a, he was a standout collegiate boxer and also is picking up grappling extremely fast. So he's one and O as an amateur fighter, which in Pennsylvania qualifies him only for novice rules. So novice rules for people just catching up like there's a novice amateur division there's an advanced amateur division you qualify for advanced amateur after three fights with a winning record so it's kind of like advanced amateur i mean it's what it says like it's the better mm -hmm. amateur fighters more experienced amateur fighters so this this fighter this one and oh fighter with the standout collegiate background has to fight novice amateur based on his experience but probably has the skills to be an advanced amateur so this is like where matchmaking gets incredibly tricky in Pennsylvania, especially because we need to find somebody who either is an advanced amateur, just willing to fight under novice rules. Like that is an option, but they never are because everybody wants to fight advanced amateur, which I totally understand. The rules are a little different. They all prefer fighting under advanced amateur rules. So an advanced amateur fighting novice isn't really on the table, even though technically it is. So secondarily, you need to find somebody who is like two and O and also has a good background and will fight this guy. It's like an impossible to find match. So there's all these little elements of like, why can't you just go out and find somebody? Hey, fighter, a fighter, B go fight each other. Like, it's just not that easy. So that's just one example. But for you, Jim, like how do you navigate all these little tricky ins and outs? Cause it seems like every bout has something to it. Yeah. The, um, so like one of the first things I'll do is um, see if I can find video on the guy because 
I want to scout them as much as possible. And, and I know that um, you and Danny do this also. Um, but, you know, I want to make sure that when we send a name um, to a coach for them to consider about, we don't want them to look at it and think, you know, like I just spent five minutes um, researching this potential matchup and it's, it's a whitewash. You're, you're bringing, you know, my guy in, you know, for, uh, for the slaughter for your hometown guy. And, you know, we're not down with that. So you, you really have to do your homework, so to speak, and make sure that what you're feeding to coaches are appropriate bouts. And that's, I, I found myself, um, using that word a lot lately. And, and as I look back in some of my messaging and the searches, when I do filters, I've been coming up, coming across that word a lot. And, you know, it's asking coaches what the full combat sports background is, you know, for their fighters so that we can make sure that we have an appropriate matchup for them. But yeah. It's, um, it's, it's way more than just, you know, looking for a debut guy. So, okay. So now I have to find another debut guy, but it could be, you know, D one wrestler um, who, you know, maybe um, just started, like we had the perfect example for the July 9th card. Um, D1 wrestler who just got started with MMA. And, you know, sometimes with those situations, you don't know what the cage is going to um, do to them and, you know, is it going to hinder them. But um, it, it just it adds something to the matching that, um, that I like. And it's, you know, the challenge in trying to find I wouldn't call it you know, impossible, but you've got to, you know, really put the time in and make sure that when you put these bouts together, that they're not, um, so, you know, slobber knockers and it ends, you know, after 50 seconds of the first round. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a worst case scenario. People might think that like, that's good on one level. It's good for the promotion in terms of a highlight and things like that. You know, it's a quick, everybody likes a quick knockout or a quick finish. Like obviously it makes a good shareable poppy highlight, but in terms of our matchmaking, like that's really never something that we want to do like at all. It's we want the most competitive matchups possible. And actually people notice, like I've heard people make the comment that Pittsburgh fighters lose a lot on our cards. Like we don't always set up the home team to win. Like people think like that's how it's done, but that's just not how it's done at all. We want the most competitive, the most fair matchups possible on every level. And that goes for novice amateur all the way up to our professional matchups. So it's an interesting dynamic there. And like you said, a guy coming in with a D1 wrestling background, is that an advantage? Like, absolutely, that's an advantage. But it's not like every D1 wrestler that ever stepped into the cage won every fight. You know, it's not the be-all, end-all. And when you're talking about an amateur debut who's been training MMA for just a couple months at that point in this example, you truly have no idea what you're getting there. So it's very cool whenever somebody steps up to that challenge like uh, Derek Brown did in that. I mean, we're obviously talking about James Lito and Derek Brown, so we'll just throw that out there. Um, like Derek Brown, when he did step up to the challenge there and take that fight. And like these are the moments when I think me personally, I won't speak for you. I'm sure it's the same for you, though. Like I gain a lot of respect for these fighters that are just down to fight. Like we threw a lot of names at Derek Brown. Yeah. And he, he was a debut fighter. And every time he just said, yes, 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 yes. Like, dude, I literally just want to fight. A lot of guys say they're like that, but not every guy is like that. So Derek Brown is truly like that. And that, you know, it makes our job easier. 
But now, you know, James Lido definitely took it to him in that fight, and he acknowledged Derek Brown, acknowledged, you know, some weaknesses in his game. So, like, his next bout out, now we have a better perspective of, like, where his skill set's at, what kind of fighter he needs to match up with, and we can adjust accordingly. But, yeah, whenever you're looking at two debut amateurs, man, those are those are toss-ups all the time, regardless of their background. And that's why it is important to talk to the coaches and get as much info as possible and trust the coaches. That's one thing that I'll say has been huge to me in terms of the Pittsburgh – coaches and honestly all the coaches that we work with the out-of-town coaches as well the blue corners like creating that dialogue where you're having honest conversations about how good your fighters are is is so crucial their belt ranks any other experience you know if they've had boxing bouts or kickboxing bouts or things like that like you have to have an honest dialogue or else if you don't that's when you get the true squash matches that just look terrible mm -hmm. so avoiding that yeah i mean you got to avoid that you know the um when it comes to the debut bouts the um the outcome in in a lot of cases i would say in most cases is really negligible on the fighter that wins and the fighter that loses and if you know if you got a a, a good coach um he's going to be able to or or she is going to be able to keep their fighters ego uh, and head in check and make sure that you know, they just look at that um, as a positive experience. And um, I, I remember talking, you know, years ago when Ryan and I did um, the podcast, we had a fighter on. And one of the things that he said he always did is he would go back and watch um, his losses and he would really study them to see, you know, what he was doing wrong that allowed his opponent to gain the advantage and it's not necessarily that he was taking anything away he just mm -hmm. looked at his performance as you know what areas he needed to work on and you know he's he's a coach in the pittsburgh area but um yeah if you got a good coach then you know it's you, it's going to show up in the second um fight the third fight and as they're progressing you know through the event it, up to uh in pa, PA with the uh, advanced level amateurs and then on into the pro career but um yeah it's yeah we don't it's no good for anybody um for us for the fighters you know whether it's um in a hometown or um team coming in for us to put on a squash match because you know they're not going to want to come back and you know they're going to lose our trust if if all we're doing is putting on fights for the hometown fans Exactly. I mean, there, there's just no point in that. And besides, like, there's so many amazing matchups to put on. Like, I think any anybody who's been to an event and seen these, like, fight of the night type performances, and when, when a fight like that is happening and you feel the energy in the arena, like, that's why you put on fights like that. There's no feeling quite like a fight that is just awesome and everybody's losing their mind together and just every punch gets, like, the momentum builds like a snowball effect. Like, a good fight gets better as it goes because it's, you just can't believe what you're seeing. Like these are the fights for sure that we get excited to put on. And I think we have quite a few coming up, man. I got to say, I want to transition just to the brawl in the Berg 13 card for a second, because we do have two pro fights announced on that and they're bangers. Like we talk about setting up fights where, uh, we don't set up Pittsburgh guys to win or the red corner to win. These two pro fights are perfect examples. The, mm -hmm. the blue, these blue corner opponents are as legit as they come, and these are going to be incredible fights. So we'll start at the top with 
Ethan Goss, our 247 FC pro featherweight champion, is going to take on Tobias Taylor out of Ohio. And Tobias is, is an animal. Like, when you look at this fight, Jim, what, what gets you excited? Besides the fact, you know, it's a pro title fight. That's pretty exciting anyway. But what do you love about the matchmaking here? Well, I, I don't know a whole lot about Tobias. Um, but I do know, you know, he's um, coming off of uh, two consecutive wins. It's somebody that was actually on Ethan's list, Ethan Goss's list, when we've tried to match him in the past. And even, you know, this is before um, Ethan won uh, the title. And um, so we had followed Tobias um, for a little bit and had pitched the bout to him. He loved it. He, you know, wanted the title fight, but he was upfront with us and said that he had, um, you know, a fight coming up and, um, he wanted, he was pretty confident and said, you know, after this win, I want that, that title shot. So we put, you know, you know, so some behind the scenes um, info here is we put that bout together, knowing that Tobias, you know, was already contracted for another fight. It was outside of our um, 45 day um, clause, you know, where somebody, you know, we don't want them to fight inside of that to, you know, protect our card. Um, and he was, you know, we, you know, so we put that clause in there. He's got to, you know, come in to the title fight on a win, um, or he's, you know, not eligible for the, for the belt. And, um, I think we may have written it up that we could rewrite or rescind that contract, mm -hmm. but he was committed 100%. Um, and Ethan had been saying for a while, you know, he wants, um, the top opponents, he wants the tough guys and he wants to show that, you know, like, don't look at his record and think that he's a middle of the road guy. And he fought some tough opponents, made some mistakes early in his career. And the guy's on a tear now. Um, you know, I think he's had uh, like, you know, one bad outing where he wished he could get that back. Um, but like this one, I think is going to go back and forth. And, you know, both guys don't want it to go the, to the cards. I just, I, you know, I'm not going to uh, go out on a limb and pick a winner here, but I see it going the distance and it's, you know, it's our main event and, you know, people are going to um, look back on this and say, Hey, I remember when. Yeah. About both these guys. Yeah, definitely. And the, one of the most interesting things about this fight, it's kind of with Tobias, it's, it's two layered things that really stand out to me with his record is that, his losses, he's five and four as a pro. All four of his losses are to really elite competition. Like Patchy Mix early on, who's literally one mm -hmm. of the top bantamweights in the world in Bellator right now. Isaiah Chapman, who rest in peace, his life was ended way too soon. He was nine and four as a pro. And also like three and one in his last four fights at the time. He, he was on an absolute tear himself. Jarrell Hodge, who I've always say Peace. one of the top Peace. one of the top local fighters that we've had in the area and he's been doing it for so long and is just an absolute beast and then chris humes mitchell ended his pro career three and one ended on a loss unfortunately but he he was a really promising pro fighter that kind of looked like he cut it short as well and it's just when you look at guys one thing i always do is look at their losses like who are they losing to and with tobias it's very clear that he only loses to super elite competition. And now the benefit of that is that all of these fights happen earlier in his career. 
Now, like you said, he's on a tear. And it's exactly Ethan Goss. So that's the second layer that is interesting to me. Like him and Ethan have followed a similar path where they took extremely hard fights all throughout their career, took some losses as a result. But now they're both riding really good winning streaks and kind of finding their groove as pros. So this is truly a matchup of two guys who are not only – you know, longtime veterans can finish the fight anywhere, really well-rounded, all of that stuff because of their tough competition earlier in their career. But now they're also piecing it together and getting better and better and better and better every time out. I mean, the Ethan Goss we saw against Ke Kevin Barbarina would have crushed the Ethan Goss we saw against Skylar Sudo, and that Ethan Goss would have crushed the Ethan Goss we saw before that. Like, it's very clear each fight that Ethan is just improving each time out. So and ditto for Tobias. So that's really exciting because you just don't know exactly what's going to happen. Like you can look at a lot of film and research these guys a lot, but you can't predict how much better they got in the meantime because they are taking these leaps. So that's what's really exciting about that fight for me. Yeah, and you know, the, uh, the two other names on um, uh, Tobias's uh, resume are his his last, I believe it was his last, um, let me take a look, his last amateur bout. It was. It was against Adley Edwards. Adley Edwards was supposed to fight um, on, I, I want to say this was uh, 2020 maybe, um, where he was supposed to fight on uh, Contender Series for Dana White's um, fight in, and he ended up getting injured just before that bout went off, and he had to withdraw. And subsequently, yeah, I think he was – um, he was out of the cage for a decent period, and um, he's now a Bellator fighter. And there were a couple times when um, I think we were trying to match Ethan and Adley was available, and for different reasons, that bout could never come together. And, um, you know, so that, that bout, is there's still potential there for Ethan and Adley down the road, and um, – you know, pending the outcome of this and, and what sure. um, Ethan and uh, um, Gorilla House have in plan in store for him. But yeah, yeah, it, these two guys both have um, impressive resume. For a little more context on that, Ad Adley Edwards, I just pulled up his page. That contender series bout was in July 2019, and it was actually against Terrence McKinney, who is doing uh, extremely, extremely well in the UFC right now. I think he's like uh -huh. three and one or something like that in the UFC. So, that would have been an absolute banger. But after that, he won three fights, and he just lost to Aaron Pico in the third round um, in April, it looks like, April yeah. 15th. So he's 9-2 and two as a pro, though, and that is an amazing record, obviously, as a pro. And his only loss as an amateur was to Tobias Taylor. So Adley Edwards is super legit, and Tobias wiped him out, actually knocked him out. So, yeah, I mean, Tobias is – resume is nuts it, it really is it's it's easy to look at somebody and say oh he's five and four like that's not impressive but when you really look at it <laughs> it's actually super impressive mm -hmm. so that that's an absolute banger and then the next one down the other pro fight we announced justin Patton versus rico tally this this one's nuts i mean everybody who knows mma will recognize the jim rufus sport and that's where rico tally trains out of three and one as a pro he's on a heater as well his his career is mm -hmm. really taking off this is a uh, no layup for justin Patton at all which what else would we expect from him at this point justin Patton, he is 
he's going to bring it every single time. And I, I was talking to Ryan about this. I think this was before the July 9th card. And I didn't, I, I knew that he had been on our, our cards a lot. I didn't realize he had fought so much for us. So, so he's got, um, like, this will be his sixth bout, I believe, um, with us. And I think we had him, um, I want to say he was matched for the um, was it the COVID card also. But Justin will take on anybody you put in front of him. Um you know, and uh, his his coaches are going to have him ready, and he's he's ready to um, I think have a breakout fight. I'm not going to uh, say what I think the outcome is going to be here um, because I have a ton of respect for Rico, um, but this is going to be another fight to watch. And the same thing that I said about uh, Goss and Tobias that you're going to look back on this and say I saw that fight or I was there or. You know, I, I saw these two guys in the beginning of their careers, and um, it's it's going to be a fun one to watch. And that's that's yeah. the cap off the night. Oh yeah, I mean that these two at, at the top of the card are just nuts. And one thing that I look at Rico and I look at Justin Patton, and a common theme with them, just like Goss and Tobias, is that they take hard fights. They both open their pro careers with losses that have aged well against very tough opponents and then they're finding their way from there you know justin just evened up his record at two and two at Braunberg 12 with that dominant win by far i mean i would say that's the best he's looked as a pro and probably ever in his mma career honestly it's like he he looked like a different kind of animal in that fight against niaz and that makes me extremely excited to see what he's going to do against rico tally because we know rico is going to bring it everything i've seen from rico an incredible fighter incredible gym incredible preparation he's been a guy who's on social media like extremely excited about this fight has a ton of support like go check out the comments on his instagram page when you get a chance like he has a ton of supporters and a ton of hype and he thinks the sky's the limit for his career you know he's he's looking bellator ufc he's going top top for it so i love guys like that i love guys that are setting those kind of goals for themselves and this is kind of the perfect matchup for both of these guys at this stage in their career and i think the really cool thing about it is that whoever loses this fight is going to only get better from it i think both of these guys know how to rebound from losses extremely well learn from losses extremely well like neither one of these guys is going to get hung up on a loss by any means so it's just a good experience as well. You know, this is normally something we talk about more with amateurs where it's like get in there, get the experience, your win-loss record resets when you turn pro. Like it really doesn't matter if you lose as an amateur as long as you're getting experience and learning. As a pro, obviously, that tune changes a little bit. There's money involved. There's, you know, future opportunities involved. But at the same time, Rico and Justin both strike me as guys who are still in it for the experience as well and are going to use that to get better as fighters so win or lose man this one's a banger on both sides and i think with those two pro fights at the top of this card and uh you know more to come we're not going to shed we're not going to drop any breaking bouts on this podcast but there are a lot more fights to come for brawl in the berg 13 that you guys are going to love but those two at the top kind of solidifies the quality of that card in my opinion like we we got those two at the top we fill it out from there. This is a banger of a card, honestly. So before we go any further, um, we talked in the beginning 
about how we don't want to put on uh, squash bouts. And so, Justin, I love you. Um, I know you're watching, but uh, saying I'm not picking on you, brother, I promise. But so if you look at Justin, this is going to be a sixth fight for us. He is he's two and three for us. And um, he's lost by uh, finish. He's been subbed, uh, I think, two times. Yeah, two of his losses were by subs. And this is a guy that um, had a pretty good amateur career, and all but one of his wins were by subs. He was he was a guy that would finish you, and you know. So the, he is proof that like we don't just try to put on bouts and please the hometown crowd, and um, and we only want the hometown you know the hometown team to win or the the red corner to win. We want competitive. Uh, fights and you know, I guess you know, could you could say we're um, we're pulling you know a little bit for the red corner, but that's not really true because in the matching process, we get to know the other side and you start to talk to them and you can get to know them on a personal level and you get to know their coaches and what's going on behind the scenes, their progression into the sport. So there's a whole um, element of the matching that I didn't even imagine would would have been there. Um, but Justin is a perfect example of um, what we try to do, and that's put on competitive um, fights. Every fight we want to be competitive, and and this is going to be another one of those cards. Yeah, and truly, you know, can easily throw Ethan into that mix as well in terms of always wanting competitive, tough fights, and plus. Ethan's the champ. Like, there are no easy fights. There's no easy pro fights anyway, but there are especially no easy pro title fights because, like you said, we only work with – we only give title shots to guys with winning records coming off wins. Like, we want your resume to look good. We want you to earn a title shot, even if it's not quite like the UFC where, you know, you win six fights in the UFC and then get your title shot. Like, we, we want you to have a strong resume coming in nonetheless to to really earn that, especially, you know – Ryan says it all the time, but we just we don't throw our belts around just to do it. You know, that doesn't make any sense. We want our title fights to actually mean something. And if you earn a two, four, seven fighting championships belt, that means you are the top dog. That means that you earned it and for good reason. So Ethan certainly did. And now he's going to have to defend it against a tough fighter and Tobias Taylor, too. Like that defense matters big time. And if Tobias beats Ethan, obviously he has earned that strap. So. Ethan and Tobias are both guys as well. You know, they're looking at Bellator. They're looking at the UFC. You don't get there by just beating anybody. We can't throw me in there against Ethan and let him beat up on me. And be like, all right, UFC, he got another yeah. finish, you know. I'm sending him yeah. a contract now. <laughs> yes, yeah, send location, send location. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you got to earn these title fights especially. So they have, you know, Justin Patton, Rico Talley. I see nothing but good things in their futures as well, win or lose. Those two fights are just nuts, and I'm really proud of of those two to headline this Brawl in the Berg 13 card October 1st at the Monroeville Convention Center. We have a whole lot of fights left that we're not going to talk about today, <laughs> but but you guys stay tuned to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'll be announcing fights, and obviously on the podcast, we're going to be talking to the fighters involved and also talking about these fights. So subscribe to the podcast. We're all over the place. I'm not going to let you go yet, though, Jim, because there are at least a few more things I wanted to get into. But at the top of it, 
I just want to talk about matching amateur fights in general because there is this idea, kind of like we said earlier, I mentioned it in passing, but I wanted to dig into this idea a little more because there are two schools of thought and I understand both of them and I still don't know how I feel about either of them because it's such a pro-con kind of situation where your record does reset when you're a pro. Whether you're 1-12 in 12 as an amateur, whatever, or 6-0, and 0, amateur champion, it doesn't really matter. When you turn pro, it resets to 0-0 oh no, for everybody. How do you feel about amateur fighters that are picky about their bouts versus guys who just come in and are like, I will literally fight anybody. I just want the experience. I want to go pro someday. I'm here for cage time. Because it's interesting. You're not making money as an amateur besides ticket sales, but – there's two schools of thought. Like, do you want to look six and zero, or do you want to be five and four with really good experience on your resume? How do you feel about that dynamic? I'm sure you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll start with when I was younger. Um, I still have the mindset and and think that I'm an athlete and go and can go out and perform like I did. I don't know how many years ago, but. I know physically I can't, but the mentality, you know, stays with you for a long time. And one of the things I remember vividly is um, I was, uh, it was, it was just that, you know, um, it wasn't like a pickup league, but it was, uh, I was playing deck hockey. This is going back at this point, it's probably like 25 years ago. And um, the, uh, the guy that owned this, um, this league and this deck court, he was putting together a traveling team and I, I'd never given it any thought. I had always you know, believed in myself and thought that I could hang with, with anybody and, and that I was the best at whatever position I was playing. And, you know, I was goalie. So um, he asked me if I wanted to play, but he said, I don't want you, you know, as our goalie, I want you, you know, I want you to uh, play center for us. I'm like, well, okay, I, I can do that. But, you know, like we just finished, um, it's like a 20 or 22 game season. And um, so if it was 22 games, I played goalie 19 of them. It was, it was that dominant. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do it. And the first game that we had, so there was like um, a month of practices leading up to this uh, national tournament and the level of just the practices versus the league that I was playing in was crazy different. It was so such a higher level just in practice. And then once we got to the first game, it it was even higher than than what I expect, you know, experienced in practice. But what I realized is that when when I'm facing the best that I could push myself and I knew that I could compete at that level and that I belong there. And so I, you know, I take that mindset and when I see guys that are picky about it, that's what I think. Like push yourself. Don't just sit back and think, what if I take a loss? Because at this point of your career, it's not going to matter. And even to some extent, once you get into like the beginning stages of your pro career, you, you need to really work on your game to set yourself apart. And it's more than just a fight. You got to push yourself in practice, you know, when you're rolling with your teammates, because 
if you don't, when you put in that situation where you can feel your opponent going to another level, you got to be able to figure out how to get there at the same time. Yep. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm on this, the, uh, the side where I wouldn't say you take every bout that comes your way to some extent, you got to be a little picky and, and know where you're at, not just take a fight mm-hmm. just to take a fight, but you, you can't be afraid to take a fight because you're, you know, you don't want to damage your record and yeah, you know, go for the experience improve on your talent not just you know your physical talent but your mental toughness as well yeah so, and and we see it every single matching period Multiple it's times. obviously obviously important to note you know we're not naive to the fact that it's a lot easier for us to say this when we're not the ones getting in the cage and getting punched <laughs> and taken down of course it's easy for us to be like listen do it for the experience amateurs you just need to get in there and get some experience. But there is some merit to it. And I wouldn't feel as comfortable saying it if I didn't talk to, you know, Kama Worthy, Ethan Goss, these pros who are doing it at a super high level. And that's, you know, that's what they did. And that's what they re- would recommend as well. So it's not just us. You know, there's something there's something to it for the experience. You can always tell these amateurs, especially when they turn pro, you can tell the amateurs that had extremely – competitive amateur careers because they're ready they don't look shell-shocked when they get in there they turn pro you know just off the top of my head too since we were talking about um gorilla house earlier like all of gorilla house's fighters are like this first of all but cam allgaier and sydney ross when they turn pro they're going to be ready there's no doubt in my mind like they've fought the best of the best already as amateurs those are two amateurs who could definitely be pros right now ray and darren kill those guys and you know when uh, and and girls, sorry, Sid, um, but yeah, that's so that's another gym. Um, Ray has told me a couple times, you know, when he was getting Ethan ready for um, for his first title bout, he told me that like they murdered him. Him and Darren like beat the crap out of him, and and Ethan will tell you, yeah, they they took it to me, but he that's what he wanted. He said that's what he needed, and that's what pushed him on to win win that title but yeah Mm -hmm. um so go ahead and uh, finish the point i didn't mean to to steal your thunder no you didn't steal it at all i think that was just my point like you look at sid and and cam allgaier they're they're really good examples of what we talked about you know sid has taken a few losses in her amateur career she's six and four so she's no stranger to losing obviously no stranger to winning either but it's all built her up to this position where she is ready to turn pro and ditto for cam you know he fought hunter starner in his last fight and they were both six and oh so these were two hyper mega ultra prospects on the amateur level that's like one of my favorite fights that you've ever put together by the way so kudos on that one like that is as good as it gets to me because you just don't see two amateur prospects at that level willing to give up that oh and one of them had to and it ended up being an incredibly competitive and to me, both guys raised their stock in that fight. Like, even though Cam ultimately lost, I thought higher of him afterwards than beforehand, even as a fighter. I was like, I knew Cam was very good, obviously, but in that fight, he proved he's pretty damn great, man. Like, I still yeah. think if Cam, you know, sticks to it and wants to make a pro career out of this, he's going to be incredibly successful. He's, he's one of the most talented guys we have on the local scene, in my opinion. So... 
yeah, when you take fights like that, in my eyes, you know, there's just no losing. That that's kind of what it comes down to. Like technically, yes, Cam is six and one now, but that doesn't matter to me. Like I literally think more highly of him as a fighter because he took that test against Hunter Starner. So that's that's the other side of it. Yeah, and then when you run into fights like that and fighters that you bring together, you know, you were already a fan of um, the local fighter, and now you're watching a career of another what what mm-hmm. we see as a star in the making and somebody that's going to become a household name, you know, in a, a relatively short amount of time. Um, that bout, I, I, I don't know how much I can go into what it took to actually get that bout approved, but I know like these are like the behind the scenes. Um, I know I've mentioned to you before, I've said this to Ryan um, and Danny, I, the police have their ride-alongs. Um, and if there was some way that we could do like a, a match-along where, you know, a fan comes and sits with a us. Match-along. I like that. It would, it would be an hour. And yeah. They, yeah. they would be blown away by what you got to go through. And like that fight in particular, if if we put down some – paperwork in front of them and some emails um, and they saw what it took to actually get that fight on the card um, they'd be blown away and that's just one fight yeah so here kind of like I said at the top of the show like I wanted to share some of the behind the scenes if you will of matching you know I'm not going to reveal any secrets or anything like that but this is a perfect example this is one of those times where so I talked about a little bit with the novice amateur. I was talking about that collegiate boxer that we're trying to match. That's difficult to match because of some technicalities, but Hunter Starner is a really good example of a different technicality. So he was six and O heading into that bout with Cam Algar. If you look on tapology, he was six and O, but if you look at the official database that everybody uses, he was only two and O in officially sanctioned fights. Now there is a difference between these, officially sanctioned fights, non-registered bouts. So you can't just say, well, somebody's six and out. Like it, what matters is the database. So that is the hurdle. I'm sure that you had to work through. I don't remember working through that with you or being involved in that at all. You kind of just took that one on and, and did it and obviously got it done. But these are the things that people don't see that I did want to talk about on the podcast, because it's like, like I said, I thought I understood MMA. I thought I understood matching. There are so many freaking hoops to jump through and so much more behind the scenes that you don't see to get to fight night. To to have an MMA event and to have it happen and have a full card, it's a lot, man. And it's actually amazing that it ever happens, let alone, you know, regularly like the groove we're in now, which obviously I'm very proud of. So, yeah. So the officially sanctioned fight, like that's just another layer along with the novice versus advanced rules versus all that another layer to the puzzle that like Hunter Starner technically was two and O going into that fight, even though he was six and O like, these are the things we got to deal with. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was, there was another fight and I don't know, like one of them today could be one a, and the other could be one B I'm talking about the Hunter Starner fight. And then this other fight um, where we had to deal with NISAC, New York state athletic commission, mm-hmm. you know, tomorrow they could flip flop. Um, you know, talking about like the toughest things we had to do to get a fight actually on the card and approved. And um, so the the situation with NISAC 
Um, just to make a long story short, we had a fighter that had a suspension um, and he was told that it was um, supposed to be a 30 day suspension, which w- would have been standard for something that he had um, had received during his fight. And I think he had like a, a cut under his eye or over his eye, something like that. And um, but like as time went along, NISAC added time on to his suspension. Mm-hmm. So his 30 days ran ran up um, before the bout. So it was clear, but they had an indefinite. And there were some things that we had to do um, in talking with making contacts and actually trying to get hold of somebody with NISAC was it was like trying to find water in the desert. Um, <laughs> we, yeah. we found it. Um, and the, um, the uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but there was a, uh, you know, a NISAC official that we were communicating with. And in the end, he told us that we were the very first. He said, nobody's ever been able to do this before. Um, but with some working uh, together with NISAC and the fighter and his doctor and the doctor's office, um, that we were able to get NISAC to lift the suspension um, early, actually. And I think it ended up being 90 days, but they lifted it early. And, you know, they reiterated, like, we've never done this before. So I don't know what you guys did or, like, what kind of pool you have. But, you know, just consider you guys, consider yourselves lucky. Um, and that that fight was mm-hmm. a tremendous fight. I mean, you remember what happened amazing. in the first round. I definitely remember the fight, the fighter, this whole situation. I yeah. was involved in that one. So it's just like for people listening that thinks that maybe it was like, wow, did you get somebody with a concussion cleared or something? Like, no, it was it really what we got taken care of was not a big deal and shouldn't have been there. It was actually like a technical error, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And we literally just had to get them to see our side. So it was like a lot of back and forth, a lot of being very polite, breaking things down, making sure everybody's on the same page. Like we just went into it with very reasonable level heads and, and they saw it our way, thankfully. So yeah, that I can't believe that that actually happened. I'm glad it did that. Like you said, that was a banger of a fight, Mm -hmm. which we knew it was going to be. That was another one that when we booked it, we were like, Oh yeah, like like, this is going to be good. Yeah. So one other thing I want to point out is like this ended up being nothing, um, but these are like some things that we deal with and you don't know this stuff is happening when you are just walking through the gates or the doors and you give somebody your ticket and you go sit down. Um, So early in the matching period for this fight, and I'll name the fighter, Craig Perry. I don't even know if Craig knows about this. So Craig, listen in. (laughs) <laughs> um, when we were originally matching Craig Perry, um, there was, you know, somebody that we sent his tapology to his like fighter history and, um, and he showed up in the database or not in the database, but he showed up on tapology as being two and O and the coach responded, is he going to be able, how's he going to make, 135 he's 170 and i went and looked at looked at it because like i just have you know saves you know files for each of the fighters and i can quickly you know uh, do a copy and then paste it into the message for the coaching so there was no need for me to look at it and once he said that i looked at it and it showed that he was um i believe he was 
2-0, and um, but his last bout was in Florida, and he fought at 170. So I messaged, I think I messaged Craig and maybe I did. Yeah. But, um, but it, so we ended up having to, we, ha, we have a contact that, that does some uh, editing and, you know, contributes to topology. So they were able to um, get that squared away. And uh, oh no, so he was, he was showing up as Owen three, I believe. Yeah. That's what it was. Um, the other one was, um, I believe it was Elijah Davis. Elijah was showing up as two and zero, and so um, really so interesting. Friend, yeah. Um, What's funny? I'm actually looking at Craig's tapology right now, and he has. It still says, "Look at this weight class welterweight." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be clear, Craig Perry is not a welterweight, ladies no. and gentlemen. Maybe after he gets out of the water with full clothes on. Maybe. Yeah. And even then, I'm not sure. I might still take the under. Yeah. So, but yeah. Really promising. Just little things like that that, um, that we encounter. And, and you don't think it's going to be a big deal, um, but it, it is. You know, areas yeah. all the time that you run into on topology, and sometimes you don't even know that you're looking at it. And it might turn us away from looking at that fighter again to, you know, potentially right. bring them in. Right. So, but that's that's part of, you know, doing your homework and, um, and seeing what's out there and, and making sure that we put together appropriate bouts and get all the information. Exactly. There's that word again. Yep. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) So I just, I want to end the podcast with this, you know, I'm going, I'm obviously going to plug something. We have a future fighter form. So if you want to make our job easy, matchmaking, fill out our future fighter form. If you guys want to fight for us, it's right on our website. 247fighting.com there's this little about tab right here go about future fighter form boom it'll bring you here and then it's just a little questionnaire you fill out so this makes it easy choose your fight weight a lot of info like we said your record boxing bjj grappling other weights you'd fight at what rank you are in jujitsu all that stuff is there so if you want to fight for us make our job easy throw your name in the hat like that's the easiest way to do it and then we'll get in touch with your coach and take it from there so that i will i will end with that and i think we still have this i'm feeling like this should be kind of a recurring episode jim because there is there's so much behind the scenes and matching that literally we could probably talk about this for like six hours straight honestly we could just bring up different case studies and things like that and things that have happened we didn't even talk about, and we're not going to right now because this is already approaching an hour long podcast, but we didn't even talk about losing fights on fight week or oh. last minute replacement fights, anything like that, yeah, which not. happens. Yeah. Yeah. Which happens every time and is the ultimate scramble for any promotion. So we'll get into that next time, but I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And, you know, I always love these behind the scenes ones. Cause like I said, I started my MMA journey as a fan. You started as a fan. You think you know a lot about the game, but like this is the stuff that you do not know. Yeah. Yeah. You might, you might know a lot about like the UFC roster and things like that. But in terms of organizing an event, dealing with a commission, dealing with coaches, dealing with fighters, the technicalities behind the scenes, it is so layered, man. And it's been honestly really exciting for me to learn it all and to learn it from you. The best matchmaker in the area. I said it. I said it. He's the best in the area. We got the best. 
that's why our fights are awesome. So we're, we're honored to have you, Jim. And I know we got a lot of good fights coming down the pipe. So hey, Danny's uh, right on my heels. So dude, Danny Paul, see, we're going to bring Danny Palm in the next yeah. show. I was kind of, I was kind of hush hush on Danny Palm in this podcast. Cause I want him to make his own debut appearance. Like you just did. So I, uh, Danny Palm is going to get his, his shine. Don't worry. Don't worry, Danny Palm. We're going to get to you too. Cause like you said, he's really hit the ground running and he's getting better and better every show. Mm-hmm. This, so that's awesome. All right, guys. So that is this week's episode. Go subscribe to us. We're on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere that you want to watch a podcast. We are there and we have a very exciting new podcast studio coming for you guys. And I can't wait for you to see it and experience it. The, this whole podcast you're not even going to recognize what we're doing right now. Jim, unfortunately, you're going to have to get out of your tech-savvy Austin, Texas home Why there. would I want to leave this and place? I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, our st- the studio's nice, too. We might be able to convince you when you see this place. So we'll uh, we'll get that rolling, and then we'll see, we'll see you guys next week. Berg 13, obviously, we talked about the two pro fights at the top. There are going to be many, many more fights being announced very soon. October 1st, the Monroeville Convention Center. Tickets are on sale now at 247fighting.com. Go get them, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you there.